Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, this is Crime Candy back with another actually pretty interesting episode. So I decided I found one. That is actually a Supreme Court case, and that's the U.S. Supreme Court case, if there's any international listeners out there. Um, so here we go. <clears throat> On the afternoon of December 24th, 1986, a 10-year-old girl named Pamela Powers went with her family to the YMCA in Des Moines, Iowa, to watch a wrestling match watch a wrestling tournament in which her brother was participating. When she failed to return from her trip to the washroom, a search for her began. The search was unsuccessful. So at the same time, Robert Williams, who had recently escaped from a mental hospital, was resident of the YMCA. Soon after the girls' disappearance, William was seen in the YMCA lobby carrying some clothing and a large bundle wrapped in a blanket. He obtained help from a 14-year-old boy in opening the street door of the YMCA and the door to his automobile parked outside. When Williams placed the bundle in the front seat of his car, the boy saw two legs in it, and they were skinny and white. Before anyone could see what was in the bundle, Williams drove away. His abandoned car was found the following day in Davenport, Iowa, roughly 160 miles east of Des Moines. A warrant was then issued in Des Moines for his arrest on a charge of of abduction. On the morning of December 26, a Des Moines lawyer named Henrik Knight went to the Des Moines police station informed the officers present that he had just received a long-distance call from Williams and that he had advised Williams to turn himself in to the Davenport police. Williams surrendered that morning to the police in Davenport, who booked him on the charge specified in the arrest warrant, even the warnings required by Miranda v. Arizona. The Davenport police then telephoned their counterparts in Des Moines, in Des Moines, to inform them that Williams had surrendered. Mick Knight, the lawyer, was still at the Des Moines police headquarters, and Williams conversed with McKnight on the telephone. So in the presence of the Des Moines police of, chief of police and a police de- detective named Cletus Lemming, Cletus Lemming? Lemming? Sorry if that's not how it's spelled, but sorry if that's not how it's said. Who died, unfortunately, in 2001. McKnight advised Williams that Des Moines police police officers would be driving to Devonport to pick him up and that the officers would not interrogate him or mistreat him and that Williams was not to talk to the officers 
about Pamela Powers until after consulting with McKnight upon his return to Des Moines. As a result of these conversations, it was agreed between McKnight and the Des Moines police police officers that Detective Lemming and a fellow officer would drive to Javenport to pick up Williams. They, They would then bring him directly back to Des Moines and they would not question him during the trip. So in the meantime, Williams was arranged before a judge in Davenport on the outstanding arrest warrant. The judge advised him of his Miranda rights and committed him to jail. Before leaving the courtroom, Williams conferred with a lawyer named Kelly, who advised him not to make any statements until consulting with McKnight back in Des Moines. Okay, sorry, one second, my laptop is having issues detective lemming and his fellow officer arrived in davenport about noon to pick up williams and return him to des moines soon after their arrival they met with williams and kelly who they understood was acting as williams lawyer detective lemming repeated the miranda warnings and told williams we both know that you're being represented here by mr kelly and you're being represented by mr knight in Des Moines, and I want you to remember this because we'll be visiting you here between visiting between here and Des Moines. Williams then conferred again with Kelly alone, and after this conference, Kelly reiterated to Detective Lemming that Williams was not to be questioned about the disappearance of Pamela Powers until after he had consulted with McKnight back in Des Moines. So by this time, the Texas have been told more than once that he needs to talk, he needs to speak with his lawyer first, because if he says anything, it's illegal. Because of Miranda v. Arizona, which pretty much states that he has to have a lawyer present while being questioned. When Lemming expressed some reservations, Kelly firmly stated that the agreement with McKnight was to be carried out. That there was to be no interrogation of Williams during the automobile journey to Des Moines. Kelly was denied permission to ride in the police car back to Des Moines with Williams and the two officers. The two detectives with Williams in their charge then set out on the 160-mile drive. At no time during the trip did Williams express a willingness willingness to be interrogated in the absence of an attorney. Instead, he stated several times, when I get to Des Moines and see Mr. McKnight, I'm going to tell you the whole story. Detective Lemming knew that Williams was a former mental patient and also knew that he was deeply religious. The detective and his prisoners soon embarked on a wide-ranging conversation covering a variety of topics, including the subject of religion. Then, not long after leaving Davenport and reaching the interstate highway, Detective Leving delivered what has been referred to in the briefs of this case in oral arguments as the Christian Burial speech.
Addressing Williams as Reverend, the detective said, I want to give you something to think about while we're traveling, traveling down the road. Number one, I want you to observe the weather conditions. It's raining. It's sleeting. It's freezing. Driving is very treacherous. Visibility is poor. It's going to be dark early this evening. They are predicting several inches of snow for two nights. And I feel that you yourself are the only person. And I feel that you yourself are the only person that knows where this little girl's body is. That you yourself have only been there once. And if you get a snow on top of it, you yourself may be able to, unable to find it. And since we will going we will be going right past the area on the way on the way into Des Moines, I feel that we could stop and locate the body. That the parents of this little girl should be entitled to a Christian burial for the little girl who was snatched away from them on Christmas Eve and murdered. And I feel we should stop and located on the way and rather than waiting until morning and trying to come back out after a snowstorm and possibly not being able to find it at all. So William asks Detective Lemming why he thought the routes to Des Moines would be taking them past the girl's body and Lemming responded that he knew the body was in the area of Mitchellville a town they would be passing on the way to Des Moines. Lemming then stated, I don't want you to answer me. I don't want to discuss it any further. Just think about it as we're driving down the road. So as the car approached Grinnell, a town approximately 100 miles west of Davenport, Williams asked whether the police had found the victim's shoes. When Detective Lemming replied that he was unsure, Williams directed the officers to a service station where he had left the shoes. A search of them proved unsuccessful. As they continued toward Des Moines, Williams asked whether the police had found the blanket and directed the officers to a rest area where he said he had disposed of the blanket. Nothing was found. The car continued toward Des Moines and as approached Mitchellville, Williams said that he would show the officers where the body was. He then directed the police to the body of Pamela Powers. So, for those who are keeping track of everything, the police officers were told more than once that you cannot talk to Williams until he has a lawyer present with him. Because provided by Miranda v. Arizona, you were required to do that. And so I believe by they tried to circumvent this by having him do sort of a Christian burial speech by saying, oh, her family is going to be so sad that they aren't going to be able to find her body and everything. And they knew that he was a deeply religious um. Con their deep religious man, and that he would respond to that. 
so just keep that in mind. Williams was indicted for first-degree murder. I am so sorry for this episode. You hear a dog whining. That is my co-host, Sergeant Pepper. Just FYI. He is completely fine. He is exaggerating everything. Okay. So before trial, his counsel moved to suppress all evidence relating to or resulting from any statements Williams had made during the automobile ride from Davenport to Des Moines. After an evidentiary hearing, the trial judge denied the motion. He found that an agreement was made between defense counsel and the police officials to this effect that the defendant was not to be questioned on the return trip to Des Moines, and that the evidence in question had been elicited from Williams during a critical stage in the proceedings, requiring the presence of counsel in on his request. The judge ruled, however, that Williams had waived his right to have an attorney present during the giving of such information. The evidence in question was introduced over counsel's continuing objection at the subsequent trial. Their jury found Williams guilty of murder, and the judgment of conviction was affirmed by the Iowa Supreme Court, a bare majority of whose members agreed with the trial court that Williams had waived his right to the presence of his counsel on the automobile ride from Davenport to Des Moines. The four dissenting judges expressed a view that when counsel and police have agreed, defendant, the defendant is not to be questioned until counsel is president, eh, present and the defendant has been advised not to talk and repeatedly has stated he will tell the whole story after he talks with counsel. The state should be required to make a stronger showing of intentional voluntary waiver than was made here. So Williams then petitioned for a writ of habeas corpus in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Iowa. Counsel for the state and for Williams stipulated that the case would be submitted on the records of facts and proceedings in the trial court without taking a further testimony. The D.C. or District Court made findings of fact as surmised above and concluded as a matter of law that the evidence in question had been wrongly admitted at Williams' trial. This conclusion was based on three alternative and independent grounds. Williams had been denied his constitutional right to the assistance of counsel. Number two, he had been denied the constitutional protections defined by Esposito, Esposito, the Illinois, and Miranda, the Arizona. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of background on Esposito, the Illinois. So Danny V. Esposito's brother-in-law, Manuel Valtier, was shot and killed on the night of January 19th. 
Esposito was arrested without a warrant early the next morning and interrogated. However, he made no statement to the police and was released that afternoon. Benedict D. Gerlando, who was in custody and considered to be another suspect, later told the police that Esposito had indeed fired the fatal shots because the victim had mistreated his Esposito's sister. On January 30th, the police again arrested Esposito and his sister, Grace. While transporting them to the police station, the police explained that Dur... Dur that D Di Gerlando, I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing these last names. Uh, I am probably butchering them. I'm so sorry to the family members and just the people in general. I'm so sorry. Had implicated Esposito and urged him and Grace to confess. He again declined and he asked to speak to his attorney. But the police refused by explaining that although he was not formally charged yet, he was in custody and could not leave. His attorney went to the police station and repeatedly asked to see his client, but was repeatedly refused access. Police and prosecutors proceeded to interrogate him for 14 and a half hours and repeatedly refused his request to speak with his attorney. While being interrogated, he made statements indicating his knowledge of the crime. After conviction, after conviction for murder, he appealed on the basis of being denied the right to counsel. He appealed all the way to the Illinois Supreme Court, which initially held the confession inadmissible and reversed the conviction. Illinois petitioned for a rehearing, and the court then affirmed the conviction. Conviction. Esposito appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, which overturned the conviction in a 5-4 decision. The majority opinion was written by Justice Arthur Goldberg. The ACLU had argued before the court as a amicus curiae in favor of Esposito. This holding was later implicitly overruled by Miranda v. Arizona in 1966, and the Supreme Court held that a pre-indictment pre interrogations violate the Fifth Amendment, not the Sixth Amendment. As Esposito was questioned during a custodial interrogation, the result for the appellant would have been the same. So, three years later... Um, you get the Miranda v. Arizona case, and I'm going to tell you another little bit of background on it. So on March 13, 1963, Ernesto Miranda was arrested by the Phoenix Police Department based on circumstantial evidence linking him to the kidnapping and rape of an 18-year-old woman 10 days earlier. After two hours of interrogation by police officers, he signed a confession to the rape charge on forms that include the type statement, I do hereby swear that I make this a statement voluntarily and of my own free will, with no threats, coercion, or promises of immunity, and with full knowledge of my legal rights, understanding any statement I make may be used against me. However, at no time was Miranda told of his right to counsel. 
before being presented with the form on which he was asked to write out the confession that he had already given orally he was not advised of his right to remain silent nor was he informed that his statements during the interrogation would be used against him at trial when prosecutors offered miranda's written confession as evidence his quite appointed lawyer alvin moore objected that because of these facts the confession was not truly voluntary and should be excluded moore's objection was overruled and based on this confession and other evidence miranda was convicted of rape and kidnapping he was sentenced to twenty to thirty years of imprisonment on each charge with sentences to run concurrently so alvin moore filed miranda's appeal to the arizona supreme court claiming that miranda's conviction was not confession was not fully voluntary and should not have been admitted in the court proceedings the arizona supreme court affirmed the trial court's decision to admit the confession in affirmation the arizona supreme court heavily emphasized the fact that miranda did not specifically request an attorney so attorney john paul frank a former law clerk to justice hugo black represented miranda in his appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. Gary K. Nelson represented Arizona. So on June 13, 1966, so three years after the original conviction, the Supreme Court issued a 5-4 to four decision in Miranda's favor that overturned his conviction and remanded his case back to Arizona for a retrial. Five justices formed the majority and joined an opinion by Chief Justice Earl Warren. The court ruled that because of the course of nature of the custodial interrogation by police, Warren cited several police training manuals that had not provided that had not been provided in the arguments. No confession could be admissible under the Fifth Amendment's self-incriminating clause and Sixth Amendment's right to an attorney unless the suspect has been made aware of his rights and the suspect has then waived him. So the person in custody must, prior to interrogation, be clearly informed that the he or she has the right to remain silent that anything he or she says will be used against them in a court of law. He must be clearly informed that he has the right to consult with a lawyer and to have the lawyer with him during interrogation and that if he is an indigent, can't afford one, a lawyer will be appointed to represent him. Thus, Miranda's conviction was overturned. The court also made it clear what must happen if a subject chooses to exercise his or her rights. If the individual indicates an any manner at any time prior to or during questioning that he wishes to remain silent the interrogation must cease if the individual states that he wants an attorney the interrogation must cease until an attorney is present at that time the individual must have an opportunity to confer with the attorney and to have him present during any subsequent questioning Warren also pointed to the existing procedures of the FBI, which required informing a suspect of his right to remain silent and his right to counsel 
providing free of charge if the subject was unable to pay. If the subject requested counsel, the interview is terminated. Warren included the FBI's four-page brief in his opinion. However, the dissenting judges, justices accused the majority of overreacting to the problem of coercive interrogations and anticipated a drastic effects. They believe that once warned, suspects will always demand law attorneys and deny police the ability to gain confessions. Any separate concurrence in part, dissident and part. So this is basically half of this is agreeing and half of this is um, a dissent disagreement. Justice Tom C. Clark argued that the Warren Court, Warren Court went too far too fast. Instead, Justice Clark would use the totality of the circumstances test enunciated by the Justice Holberg in Haynes v. Washington. Under this test, the court would consider, in each case, whether the police officer prior to custodial interrogation added the warning that the suspect might have counsel present at the interrogation and further that a court would appoint one at his request if he was too poor to employ counsel. In the absence of warnings, the burden would be on the state to prove that counsel was knowingly and intelligently waived, or that in the totality of the circumstances, including the failure to give the necessary warnings, the confession was clearly voluntary. Miranda was retired in 1967 after the original case against him was thrown out. This time, the prosecution, instead of using the confession, introduced other evidence and called witnesses. One witness was Twyla Hoffman, a woman with whom Miranda was living at the time of the offense. She testified that he had told her of committing the crime. Miranda was convicted in 1967 and sentenced to serve 20 to 30 years. The Supreme, the Supreme Court of Arizona affirmed and the U.S. US Supreme Court denied review. Miranda was paroled in 1972. After his release, he returned to his old neighborhood and made a modest living autographing police officers' Miranda cards that contained the text of the warning for reading to arrestees. Miranda was stabbed to death during an argument in a bar on January 37th. 31st, 1976. A suspect was arrested, but due to a lack of evidence against him, he was relief. He's released. Another three defendants whose cases have been tied in with Miranda's, an armed robbery, a stick a man, and a bank robber, either made plea, plea bargains to lesser charges or were found guilty again despite the exclusion of their confessions. So after the Miranda decision, the nation's police departments were required to inform arrested persons or suspects of their right under the ruling prior to custodial interrogation. Such information is called a Miranda warning. And I'm sure if everyone's who's seen any cop TV show or movie such as Law & Order SVU, which is a frequent one, they always say, you know, you have the right to remain silent and they go from there whenever they arrest someone. <laughs> So, back to the Williams case. So, in any event, his self-incriminatory statements on the automobile trip from Davenport to Des Moines 
have been involuntarily made. Further, the district court ruled that there had been no waiver by Williams of the constitutional protections in question. The Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit, with one judge dissenting, affirmed this judgment and it denied a petition from hearing N. Bank. So N. Bank is essentially where all the judges are present. That's all it means. The Supreme Court gained granted certiori to consider the condition constitutional issues president presented. So whenever a Supreme Court grants cert a writ of satori, that essentially means they're going to hear a case. So the judges were trying to answer two questions. So, was William denied counsel in violation of the 16th Amendment? And the second, did Williams waive his right to counsel when he led the detectives to the girl's body? So for the first question, the answer is yes. And the second one, the answer is no. So, in a 5-4 decision, Justice Potter Stewart wrote the majority opinion, affirming the Court of Appeals. The Supreme Court held police denied Williams his Sixth Amendment rights because the adversary proceeding had already begun. The detective's statements, eliciting incriminating statements, amounted to an interrogation, entitling Williams to counsel. The court also held that Williams had not waived his right to counsel. Um, Justice Thurgood Marshall concurred, writing that the detectives who gave the Christian burial speech knowingly set out to violate Williams' constitutional rights. The nature of the crime was not an excuse for the detectives' behavior. Justice Lewis F. Powell also concurred, stating that the record clearly showed that Williams had not waived his rights. Justice John Paul Stevens wrote a concurrence, expressing that the state had promised not to question Williams before he reached Des Moines, and the state could not dishonor that promise made to Williams' lawyer. Uh, but Chief Justice Warren E. Berger dissented, writing that Williams validly waived his right to counsel, and even if he had not, the disclosures he made were voluntary and uncoerced. Justice Byron R. White wrote a dissent, stating that the record showed Williams knowingly and intentionally waived his rights. Justice Harry A. Blackman and William, a and William H. Reinquist joined in the dissent. Justice Harry A. Blackman wrote a separate dissent, stating that there was no interrogation and he would remand the case to the Court of Appeals to determine whether the Williams, whether the Williams case made the incriminating statements voluntarily. Justice Byron R. White and William Reinquist joined in the dissents. So he was, so Williams then got a second trial in which his attorneys again moved to suppress all evidence stemming from the interrogation of Williams by the detectives. The judge ruled that the Williams statements to the detectives was inadmissible, but citing Stewart's footnote ruled that the body was admissible 
as evidence as it would have been inevitably been discovered by law enforcement. So, on July 15th, 1977, Williams was again convicted of first-degree murder. This conviction was upheld by the Supreme Court in Nix v. Williams in 1984, which affirmed the constitutionality of an inevitable discovery exception. So, that's pretty much the end of this case. Um, so I hope you guys thought that was interesting. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. And you got a background in a couple of other cases that, um, went also to the Supreme Court about, um, people's right to counsel and everything involving that. Um, so, I'm trying to think what else. I am going to post some pictures on um, the Instagram, so if you guys are interested, it's Instagram.com.com slash crime underscore candy. Um, and if you guys hit on Spotify, you guys can, can subscribe to the channel. If you hit the little bell button, you'll be able to get more notifications. So um, I hope you guys have a good I hope you guys enjoyed your July, and I hope you guys have a great August. See you next time. Bye.